it goes uh, with the title today, Mighty is the Tongue. Mighty is the Tongue. <clears throat> We're continuing through the book of James, so if you have James, please, or have a Bible, please turn to James chapter 3. Zig Ziglar once relayed the following story. A woman meets with an attorney and says, I want to divorce my husband. Okay, the attorney responds, let's start with a few questions. Like what, she asks. Well, do you have any grounds? Yes, we have five acres out in the country. Uh, No, I mean, do you have a grudge? No, but we have a nice wide carport and a storage shed. Let me ask this a different way. Do, Do you have any complaints about him? Like what? Well, does he beat you up? No, I'm at least an hour before him every day. Well, what about your role here? Do you ever wake up grouchy? No, when he's in a bad mood, I just let him sleep. Exasperated, the attorney finally asks, Why exactly do you want to get a divorce? Well, she replies, the guy just can't communicate. Today we're talking about words and what that means. And we're back into the book of James, and we're at the section talking about taming the tongue. Now, James was written by the half-brother of Jesus, believed to be uh, the first of the New Testament letters to be written. He wrote primarily to Jewish Christians at the time because, well, that's all there was for the most part. James encourages readers to live consistent Christian lives. And that's what we should be doing, living consistent Christian lives. James chapter 3, verse 1 through 12, I'll be reading out of the New King James Version, and it says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able to also bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Chance, can you turn me down just a bit, please? With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Let's pray. (coughs) Lord, as we... Come before you today, this morning. We thank you for all the blessings that you've given us. A baptism again, Lord. That makes number three in a year. And Father, we praise you for that. God, we ask that you would continue to add to our number. 
increase us as you did in the book of Pentecost. You said people were being added by the thousands. Lord, we would love to have that problem. So God, we ask that you add to us and help us to know exactly what to do, when to do, and how to do. In Jesus' mighty name, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us through your word. Amen. Today's life principle, Christians need to know the tongue is small but mighty, and we must not speak the language of hypocrisy. We need to know the tongue is small but mighty, and we must not speak the language of hypocrisy. Let's break that down. The tongue is small, but it is mighty. James 3, 1 through 5, we're going to break this into two sections. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things, and if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest A little fire kindles the tongue. Now, this can be a very complex subject. Now, we're talking here about words, not the actual appendage that's in your mouth, okay? We're talking about words. What we see comes from what we believe, or what we say comes from what we believe. What our worldview is. If we believe in the God of the Bible, then we will say that, won't we? We will talk about Jesus. If we believe that the Buddha has all the answers, then we're going to tell people about that, even though it's completely wrong and completely heresy. This principle works in the minutest, smallest of details, the tiniest attitudes and actions. And we see this displayed in Matthew 15, uh, verse 3. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandments of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And when he called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Our words reflect our heart, our spirit, our mind. When we make those things known, it causes people to react. And in so doing, sets our trajectory in life. Your tongue can set your trajectory. How many times have you said something and knew immediately you shouldn't have said it? Well, of course, we've all done it, haven't we? And you'd think we'd learned from it a little bit quicker than we actually do. How many times... Have you gossiped about someone and it came back to bite you in the rear end? Please don't raise your hand. We don't want to know. We want to think the best of you. However, if that's you, I would implore you to ask for God's forgiveness. 
Did you know, uh, in, in my personal experience, I would say both working with people in churches and working with people in general and myself, I would say that 99.99% of the time, gossip is going to eventually come back to bite you. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impact grace to the hearers. Proverbs 10.19, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Luke 12.2-3, For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. Looking at our main text, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. You know, teachers to the Jews were seen as distinguished in the community. They were high up. They taught the law of God and the traditions of the elders. The law we find in our Bibles in the Old Testament. The priests and the scribes knew it better than anyone, or so it was thought. Why is that? Well, the priests, because guess what? That's all they did. They studied it. The scribes, because they copied it. There was no printing press at this time, so they had to rely on handwritten copies. Well, how do we know we got it right? Well, let me give you an example. In the Middle Ages, there were some monks, and they were so strict that if they made one little dot, one little comma, one little mistake, they'd throw the entire page out, burn it, get rid of it, and they'd start again. Why? Because it was the Word of God, and it was sacred, and it must have been copied perfectly. Did you know that the Bible, of all the the translations, not translations, but all the original manuscripts that we have. The Textus Receptus is one, um, the majority text, and there's a whole bunch of others. When we look at those Greek and Hebrew texts, the variation of, uh, between them, differences, is so minute. It'd be the same as forgetting to put a period at a spot or to put a dash. And you know what? None of those differences changes any doctrine of God. None of them. You cannot say that about any other historical manuscript out there. But yet, people, so that they will not be held accountable to their own actions, will constantly say, Well, it was written by man. It's got mistakes. No. No, it doesn't. For they were carried along as the Holy Spirit gave them inspiration. Teachers at this time, they were often referred to as rabbis. And they were honored by the community. Especially if they were higher up in their organization. And it's not unlike denominations today. And I'm going to let that sit. However, we find multiple examples 
where Jesus would call them out for their hypocrisy. He didn't play their silly little games in order to be liked by them. He was harder on them than he was on the blatant sinner, the prostitute down the road. He was harder on the priests, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. Why? Because they should know better. Because they should know better. They were in God's Word constantly, day in and day out. They were taught by the best of the teachers. They should have known better. And this is the backdrop that James, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes the words, Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. They say actions speak louder than words. And Jesus even at one point said, do what the Pharisees tell you to do, but don't act like them. Now that's the Joe Kramer version of the Bible. It's it's not exactly, you know, it's more of a paraphrase. James chapter 3 verse 2 says, For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Now before men get all haughty thinking that they're perfect, you're not. Perfect there is actually better translated as mature. He is a mature man. So if a person does not stumble in word, they are a mature Christian. They are able to control their whole body, their actions. Why would he equate maturity with discipline of the body? Because when we speak to someone, we can do multiple things with our words. Humans can flatter you bending you toward their will. They can gossip and lie about you, bending you toward their will, destroying you. They can tell you hard truths in love, bending you towards God's will. With words, a person can instigate a fight or they can get out of one. With words, a person can choose to do good or to do evil. By the power of words, you can change the trajectory of your life and thereby your body. However, what we say and how we say it, that is called communication, by the way, is hard to control for all of us. If a person can master how they communicate, then controlling their actions should not be hard. Without a doubt, controlling your tongue is one of, if not the hardest thing that you will ever do in your life, especially when your emotions are involved. James chapter 3, 3 through 5. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? James gives us some amazing illustrations here that just expand our mind about the tongue, about our words. But notice he talks about how small our tongues are compared to the rest of our bodies. Yet it drives our life circumstances like nothing else. Have you ever met a boaster? You ever met a boaster in church? Don't, don't, don't raise your hand. I don't want to know. Someone who boasts great things. Look at me. 
Now, as you all know, I'm a teacher, and I work with kindergarten through eight, and I can tell you that boasting is always there. Oh, yeah? And don't think us adults are any better, by the way. We just do it more sly, or we think we do. But boasting is always there. They're constantly one-upping each other. Constantly. One such example comes from a kid that boasted he had an Xbox One, which, for those of you that don't know, is a gaming console, you know, video games. And it has many different iterations. Same name, different hardware as, as time progresses. And another kid will go, well, I have the Xbox One S. But they don't sound like that. They sound more like, I got the Xbox One S. Okay. Another one boasts that his parents got him a really expensive Xbox One X because that's the highest one you can get, and it's $500. Then without missing a beat, another kid across the room will say, oh, yeah, well, I got the Xbox Series S, which is better than the Xbox One S and the One X, apparently. I'm having a hard time keeping up with these things. i got to be honest with you. All right? Just give it a different name. And by the way, the Series S, from what I understand, is the one that's just released. But the, the Series X is even better than that one. So, you know. And right when you think it's over, and you're getting your head around this as a teacher, uh, yeah, but you don't have an Xbox Series X. Oh, here we go. Now we're starting to fight. And just as the bell's about to ring... And my mind's going, okay, this will stop. Another child says, Xbox sucks. I got a PlayStation 4, which is a completely different system, in case you don't know, by Sony instead of Microsoft. Then another says, yeah, I got the PlayStation 5. Then PlayStation kids get into a contest of which is better, the Xbox or the PlayStation to which the final bell finally rings, because you know you got that warning bell in between. And uh, by this point, I've had enough. And I tell all the kids to sit down and hush. I got something to say. And I say, it doesn't matter which one is best or who has what. Neither of them have any eternal value. Just be happy you got one. And besides, Jesus plays Xbox. And why, does he, why, did, why did I say that? Because apparently I have one at the house. And even Paul wrote, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that boasting is foolishness. Did you know that? Paul said boasting is foolishness. 2 Corinthians eleven sixteen says, I say again, let no one think me a fool. If otherwise, at least receive me as a fool, that I also may boast a little. What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were, foolishly, in this confidence of boasting. You see, the Corinthians had teachers who were boasting that they were better than Paul. Seeing that many boast according to the flesh, I also will boast. For you put up with fools gladly, since you yourselves are so wise. I like Paul because he was sarcastic. I don't think many churches would like him in the pulpit. 
he was so boring a kid fell out the window and broke his neck and he had to raise him from the dead. I mean, come on, man. No, I'm kidding. Where was I? All right, for you put up with, with it if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face, and still the Corinthians put up with it. 2 Corinthians 11.30, I'm going to jump down. It says, if I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The moral of this little snippet, and I encourage you to go read it later, boasting is evil. And if you have to boast, boast in your weakness, because in so doing, you show God's greatness. You show God's power. Secondly, don't speak the language of hypocrisy. Don't speak the language of hypocrisy. James 3, 5 through 12 says, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set amongst our members that it defiles the whole body. It sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude or image of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Notice verse 6. It says that the tongue is full of iniquity. Now, iniquity is one of those churchy words that you sort of understand what it means. You never really look it up, but it's all over the Bible. And we don't really use that word anymore. So it's a churchy word if I ever heard one. Real simple. Iniquity is working unrighteousness or being unjust. I like how the New Living Translation translates this verse. It says, And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Those are strong words. James is not mincing words. He's not pulling his punches. He's telling it like it is. He is where the rubber meets the road. In this one section, James tells us what evil can be done by our words and just how bad those words are. He shares with us the source of them. The tongue is set on fire by hell. And what does hellfire do? It causes untold pain and evil for all eternity. It causes unending torture. Your words can cause that in other people's lives. They will play them over and over and over again. We must be careful of what we say and how we say it. There's been many times in my life that a church member or Somebody would come up who I held in, in some kind of high regard or, or esteem, especially those that are mature in the faith, and they'll say something to me that just 
it bugs me because I hold them in high regard. Let me give you an example. Before I came here as your interim pastor, I knew the Lord was calling me to do this, and here's how I knew. My wife and I were hurt very bad at the last church we served in. We wanted, or she wanted nothing more to do with ministry, period. She went through counseling for it. They hurt my son really bad. The kids there tormented him. And he didn't tell us. And when he finally did, it hurt. And then when I found out what they did was they wanted a, a different pastor, and so they set it up behind my back. And so everything was so quick. I didn't see it coming. When I found out who was involved in this, these were people that I held confidence in. And it hurt. Their words they hurt bad. Thank God we don't have that here. But I had somebody that I held in high regard. And she said to me, without being in my life for over a year, I said, I'm praying about this. And Amanda said, do it. Without any hesitation, without any regret or hurt or pain or anything else, she said, I feel God saying, do it. So for me, that's confirmation. Because other opportunities had actually come up that didn't feel quite right, and she'd say no. And I listened. But when this came up, she said, God says, do it. And so I listened. But I had this other person who I work with. I said, I'd like you to pray about this. And she goes, you're not ready. You're not ready to go back into ministry. Your wife doesn't want to go back into ministry. I guarantee you that. And she went on for like 15, 20 minutes, tearing me down, how I couldn't have possibly heard from God. And so that tormented me for days. And I prayed about it, and I prayed about it, and I prayed about it. And finally the Lord said, like, like, not like audibly, but like you just know. You know that you know. Just like he said in the scripture. Did I not say? That's all I needed to hear on the inside of me. Did I not say? Yes, Lord. I'll go meet with him. And that's how it happened. You've got to be careful with what we say to people. It can cause them torture. James 3, 7 through 8 says, For any kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. We have tamed just about everything, but no one can fully tame their tongues 100%. If we could, man, what a different world our lives would be. But the humble person will make it right when they mess up. You know what the worst part about messing up is? You think you're going along good, and then you say that wrong word to your spouse, and then you're like, I shouldn't have said that. And now i got to deal with it. Praise the Lord. Folks, 
you're going to mess up sometimes. Our goal is to be more and more like Jesus where we don't mess up and where people are mad at us because it's the gospel and not because we said something stupid. Okay. Matthew 18, that's why it exists. 18, chapter 15, or I mean, chapter 18, verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. In other words, have nothing to do with him. Notice it doesn't say that the offender should go and make it right. He says, no. Why? Why shouldn't the person who offended you go and make it right? Because many times they don't even realize they've said something wrong. That happens a lot to me when, it, when I'm talking to Amanda. Uh, uh, dear, you took that the wrong way. How could I have taken it the wrong way? Oh, because I said it wrong. That's how you took it the wrong way. We don't realize sometimes that we've said something wrong or that we've offended someone with our words. The worst part is, is that sometimes a pastor will say something and then all of a sudden, the person no longer comes to church. The pastor calls them. They don't pick up. Tries to get a hold of them. Nothing. What did you say? What did I do? What did you say? Well, it has nothing to do with the church or the pastor. I just need to go elsewhere. Yeah, right. What did the pastor say? Well, that pastor said, I don't think the pastor said that. I think you took that wrong. But they never went to the person who offended them to make it right. If I offend you, I expect you to come to me. Y'all hear me? All right. And I know you will. We've had those conversations, and and you know what? You were right. (laughs) Um, Men, we got some married men in here, right? Yeah, we got some married men in here. If you've been married for more than three minutes, you know what I'm talking about. You know, I tell you what, my wife says I don't speak girl because sometimes I upset Leah and I don't know why. Well, you just don't speak Leah. I said, well, sometimes I upset my students and I don't know why. And it's usually the girls. She goes, you don't up, you don't speak girl. I said, OK. I'll try to. Uh, she goes, I'll try to put it in Joe. <laughs> and usually ninety nine point nine nine percent of the time she's right. So what do we do? Well, here's what I know. There are weeks that I can't go a day without saying something that gets taken wrong or I didn't say it just right. It's just the way it is. I don't always think out what I should say. And when I do say it, I don't say it the way I actually mean it because it's taken wrong. An offense occurs. And when that happens... That offense should be made right. So, when somebody brings it to my attention, first I apologize, and then I repent before God. And if 
you have something somebody said to you in the church or outside the church or whatever, first apologize, then repent before God, and then both parties need to move on. Don't keep bringing it up. But if that doesn't work, we're given the rest of the steps in Matthew 18. Because if your brother will not hear you, then we need to take two or three, especially if it's a large issue. You know what I mean? James chapter 3, verse 9 says, With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. There's a strangeness to our hypocrisy. We as Christians can curse somebody behind their back or today in front of them and then rather than apologize and repent like we should, we don't do it. We just go on and then we start to try to praise God. Something's wrong, Lord, I don't sense you here. Lord, I, I just, something's, something's not right. Well, could it be because there's some hypocrisy going on? Do you think it's right? Neither does God. What does good communication with us... What is, what is James talking about? What does God communicate with us through James here? What is the Holy Spirit conveying? This is the one key verse for me. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. God tells us that we will be held accountable for every idle word we speak. That's scary. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. By the way, a better translation there than idle, and idle is true. You ever been in a car that idles? It just You're idling. You're not doing anything. You're just going over and over, doing the same thing. You're not paying attention. What's that called? That's called being careless. What happens if you take your foot off the brake? <laughs> Something's going to happen and usually not good. If you're idling, you're being careless. Every careless word will be judged. I ain't going to judge you necessarily. And if I do, it's probably wrong. And then I need to repent and apologize. You know how that goes. God's going to judge us. This should be a humbling thought, if not an embarrassing one, before a holy God. So what can we take away from this? Christians need to know the tongue is small and mighty, and we need not speak the language 
of hypocrisy. How about you today? Could God be speaking to us today? Have we said something not quite right? You know the one thing that can kill a church more than anything else? Gossip. It really can. And I'm not getting on to anybody because as far as I know, you haven't gossiped about me. I haven't heard anything. Just saying. You haven't said bad things about the church. I haven't heard anything. That's good. If anything, I've heard of what God has done in this church over the past year I've been here. But that gossip, woo, can it kill. So instead of gossiping, let's start talking good things. Find a way to bring up Jesus, number one, and then bring up your church and bring them on in. But that means nothing if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Are you sure that you're sure that you're sure that if you step out of this room and you have a heart attack or whatever, an aneurysm, it doesn't matter, you'll wake up in heaven. If not, get sure. All you got to say is, Jesus, help! He knows the intent of your heart. Or you could pray a prayer like, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know that my sin separates me from you. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my master and be my Lord. That's all it takes, folks. It's the intent of the heart. And the words that come out of your mouth. By your words you will be justified. By your words you will be condemned. Let's pray, or let's sing the invitation hymn. If you want to join the church by letter, by statement, by baptism up here, if you want special prayer for a special need, healing, whatever, come on up, we'll do that too. Miss Joe.